Gladfield Malt is dedicated to producing fresh, consistent, and high-quality malt for New Zealand craft brewers and home brewers alike. Visit their website today to see their incredible range of unique and flavorful malts at gladfieldmalt.co.nz. That's gladfieldmalt.co.nz. You are listening to episode number five of the New Zealand Brewer podcast. Uh, you're listening to John Ojaka. That, that's me. Uh, Gary Henwood from Kainui Bruco is also on the line. How you doing, Gary? Good. Thank you, John. Um, well, very cool. Tonight we are going to be, well, tonight, I guess it's tonight for us. It might be today. It might be tomorrow morning. It might be uh, who knows when next year for some of you. Um, but we are going to be talking with Matt Dainty from Boneface Brewing Company at long last. Eh, Gary? Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, you talked to him twice now. I've talked to him twice. I think we're going to, so this is going to be a bit repetitive because I think we're going to talk about this in the interview as well. But uh, uh, Matt, he's, he's an awesome guy because he was one of the first people, I think I did the interview with him initially. He was maybe the second guy I had uh, interviewed, something like that. And I screwed up the audio and we had to uh, kind of bag it. And we finally rescheduled and we've got him on the show tonight. Uh, again, Boneface, pretty new brewery. I'm uh, going to venture to guess some of you, uh, especially outside of the Wellington area, may not yet be familiar with them, but they're they're making big waves pretty quickly, um, and they're making some uh, pretty great beer. So uh, we're going to be talking with them. Matt is uh, nice, has been nice enough to share one of their recipes, so we've got another clone recipe for you, uh, and it should be a good show. Um, with uh, that said, I think we should probably pop a beer because it becomes a lot more fun, <laughs> not only for us, I think, but for the listeners as we That's start why we to do the show. We start to slowly make asses of ourselves um, because I am <laughs> bone dry right now. So, um, what what are we drinking, Gary? Because you you picked this We're, one up. This wasn't one of the beers that um, Matt sent up. This is something that I've not tried. Not yet. initially. He um, what did he send up initially? He sent Goza. Oh, I, how do you say it, John? Uh, uh Goza. No, it's spelled Goza. like goes, but it's said like it said Goza. Um, but yeah, no, that that actually is just an aside. That is one of the more impressive things about the company. I reached out to them. I was writing an article on historical beers and was looking for a New Zealand producer of Goza uh, because that was one of the beers that I mentioned. And we got to chatting and he's like, oh, let me send you some beer. And I'm thinking, you know, he's going to send me one or two bottles. He sent me four six or uh, was it four five six packs um and it worked out kind of brilliantly because we we sat we had that beer we tried so hard to hold on to it uh that what ended up happening is we we at least mentioned it if not drank it on just about every show so far it's become this massive presence in my life because it's been sitting in the beer fridge for, for so long slowly slowly dwindling away in fact you sort of failed because i told oh, you to. I failed in the first week or so. <laughs> Couple of days ago, so we're finally doing the Boneface show. What do you got left? Uh, and it was like you know crickets because Gary had drunken all the beer. So so he went and ordered I, I us. I ordered more before that. I, <laughs> I, I drank the beer and I ordered more. Drank that beer and then now finally recording. Awesome. We got more beer. Well, that is a uh, testament to how good the beer is. I suppose. Yeah, you, totally. You're going back. 
as well as your lack of discipline. So uh, tell us about this beer, because again, this was not one of those beers, and I don't know much about it. I did not have a chance to chat with Matt about this particular beer. So what are we drinking? Uh, this is the Boneface in Bloom India Pale Ale, 6.5%. It was the entry, entry into the um, West Coast IPA Challenge, which is at, held at the Malt House in Wellington. Um, that was in the end of July, I believe. And yeah, this was their entry to that. It, yeah, I guess it speaks for itself. It's a West Coast um, IPA, so it's going to be fairly bitter and malty. Um, what does it say here? He it doesn't. I found it hard to find a, a description of what they're going for. But I mean, yeah, it is a US West Coast IPA, so it can't vary too far from that. I think they are going for more of a juicy tropical sort of a thing there, pushing it a little more towards the East Coast, but. I mean, I think of West Coast as relatively, well, not juicy, but certainly, you know, they can be fruity. Um, yeah, just, yeah, to, true, to me, true. it's the clarity, the 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 um, sort of mouthfeel, the uh, sort of mineral ratio and, and the bitterness, really, uh, or at least to my mind. I don't I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but this this tastes like a West Coast uh, IPA to me. I like it. It's uh, I get a lot of passion fruit from it. Um, it's good, solid bitterness, nice, clear, uh, golden, classic IPA. It's in good shape. Yep. Yep, yep. So what's that? Two months ago, just over two months ago. So it's still tasting good. Yeah, I'm. Um, you know, I've said it before. I'm not the biggest IPA drinker, and and I like this. There's, it's certainly. I'm not getting any oxidation. This is, you know, there's none of that nasty cardboard that is, that I find in nine out of ten IPAs that arrive in a bottle. Um, it's, it's uh, got again. It's that got that nice passion fruit note. There's a slight delicate um quality to that, like. Uh, if it, if there was, this is going to sound silly because it's not overwhelmingly lychee. But if there was just, you know how lychee has that softness to it, those round yeah. edges. You get there's some round edges to that passion fruit note. If if mm-hmm. that makes any sense, are you getting any of that? Yeah, for sure, I'm getting it. <clears throat> yeah, maybe more um, towards the amarillo. Um, yeah, juicy. Maybe uh, I'm not too sure. Maybe some citrus or something like that. But Simcoe. Awesome. Well, great beer. I'm I'm enjoying it and I'm going to enjoy it as we as we dig into that interview. But before we do that, again, just just a, a little bit of housekeeping, few things to chat about. As mentioned, we're going to be talking to Matt Dainty from Boneface in a moment. And then after that, uh, we'll be doing a, a little Q&A. Uh, listeners have submitted a few questions, uh, homebrew related questions. We'll be taking those before the end of the show. Um, but I do want to ask you guys a favor. If you enjoyed this show, uh, do us a favor. Head on over to iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to this podcast and leave us a review. Uh, hopefully hopefully, uh, hopefully, a good one. You leave, leave us some of those stars. Write a few sentences. They really help. They help people discover the show and uh, helps perhaps with a little bit of uh, algorithm mumbo-jumbo um, that uh, takes place over there, at least with a new show. So if you guys would do that, it would help the show, help us get more listeners and ensure that we can keep uh, doing this. So um, while you're at it, If you haven't already been to the site, you can also go to newzealandbrewer.co.nz and subscribe there. Get on the mailing list. We'll let you know when there are new shows, uh, when we have recipes to share, special articles, things like that. Um, With that out of the way, uh, Gary, what's going on at the brewery? Uh, Drinking beer at the moment. Um, What's going on at the brewery? I'm about to brew the beer for the concert. Right, which is the first time I've brewed big boy batches. I've been brewing little kid batches up until now, so 
I think we um, still got to assume we've got a lot of new listeners coming in. You give people the super yeah, yeah. short version of who you are and what you're talking about when we're talking about Okay, yeah, so... Um, uh, yeah, so we're at Kainuiva Road Vineyard. We have concerts there over summer. We've got three big ones this year. We've got Fat, uh, we got Solomio and Bikrunga, then Fat Freddy's Job, and then the winery tour. So we've got potentially oh, 10,000 um, guests coming through the concerts, and I need to provide them with beer. Um, previously, we've had uh other beer bought in for the concerts but this time i'm going to pr- provide all the beer ourselves and to do that i've got to brew 10,000 liters of kainui gold well, that's one of the beers that we'll be serving there that's the main one that um you know most of the customers are going to be wanting the ones that are uninitiated craft beer drinkers and so yeah um i haven't brewed that much beer before i've said previously and so i've got to you know step up my game i've got all the yeast ready you know propagating Yeast for 5,000 liters. The first round of 5,000 liters is is new to me as as much as filling the the big boy fermenter. So it's it's a learning process. It's um you know just going through the motions. But um yeah, I'm, I'm ready and I'm looking forward to it. Very cool. Very cool. Um, well, let's see what what do we gotta what do we gotta do here? I guess we're gonna jump right into it, aren't we? Um, I, I guess. Before we do that, just a couple of thank yous to the new sponsors. I know we mentioned them uh, last week, but we've we've had we've got some support for the show, and it really means a lot. Uh, Gladfield Malt uh, has come on. We've got uh, Grainfather now sponsoring us, as well as uh, Brew Shop. That's BrewShop.co.nz. Uh, they are certainly the the brew shop, the homebrew shop that I shop at. I know Gary shops there as well. Check them out, uh, and we'll be talking about them more a little bit later in the show. Um, without further ado, should we should we just get into Crick this into thing? It. Yeah, right, man. Let's do it. Good beer. You're listening to the New Zealand Brewer Podcast. Whether you're a home brewer or pro brewer, if your goal is to make delicious beer using top quality New Zealand grown ingredients, then Gladfield Malt is the maltster for you. Gladfield Malt is a family owned and operated malting company located in Canterbury, New Zealand, where the Michael family has been growing barley for five generations. They now produce over 29 types of malt, including several world firsts, such as their very own Toffee, Shepherd's Delight, and Supernova Malt. Whether your goal is to brew a crisp New Zealand Pilsner or a rich and decadent Imperial Stout, Gladfield Malt has the perfect malt for your brew. And if you're looking to brew a classic recipe using only Gladfield's award-winning ingredients, you can download their free recipe conversion app, which is available for both iOS and Android devices. Gladfield Craft Malts are perfect for the New Zealand brewer who is looking for quality flavors, consistency, and traceability in their malts, which they back up with some of the best customer service in the industry. You can get to know their malts and find out more about their recipe conversion app at gladfieldmalt.co.nz. That's gladfieldmalt.co.nz. Theshout.co.nz is the home of New Zealand Liquor News, with daily updates featuring the latest and greatest news, announcements, and views for the New Zealand liquor trade industry. Theshout.co.nz has everything you need to keep up with happenings in on-premise and off-premise information, beer, wine, and spirit news, and everything in between. You can register for our weekly e-newsletter at shout.co.nz. That's theshout.co.nz. 
All right, so on the line with me is Matt Dainty from Boneface. Matt, uh, thanks for being on the call. How's it going? Yeah, good night. Very cool. Well, I uh, as I said in the setup for this interview, in this sort of pre-interview segment, uh, you are a bit of a legend for being willing to do this with us again because uh, I, as you know, screwed up the audio on our first interview. So here we are kind of doing a, a repeat of the... Uh, of the very same interview, so <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it'll be it will will benefit from that. But there is a there is a silver lining, and it's sort of accidentally brilliant, which is that you sent up some beers. Now it'd be a couple of months ago um, for us to you know drink on the show and and get to check out. And I've been holding on to those. You sent a, a good supply as well, and I've been holding on to those. And we drink beers in the shows and the other episodes. And you've made an appearance on I think virtually every episode of the show so far because we've had uh, Boneface sitting around as we as we hang on to it trying to uh, you know save at least a couple of bottles to to drink on this show so anyway you've gotten a lot of exposure <laughs> through through my screw up so there we go so um let uh, okay so once again the the brewery is Boneface you're a relatively new brewery uh, from uh, Upper Hut down near Wellington, why don't you give, uh, before we get into the story and the beers and all of that, just give people a sense of the company. So, uh, you know, where, where where you are, what kind of brewery you are, production capacity, uh, paint the picture of Boneface for us, if you would. Right, so we're a production brewery in Upper Hat, also with a tap room and kitchen on the side of it. Uh, our capacity is about just under 200,000 litres a year, and uh, we're already exceeding our capacity so that's fantastic yeah. and uh, the brew pub is uh, pretty new is it not because when we yeah, last yeah. talked a couple of months ago that, that didn't exist yes we've been open six weeks now and uh, it seems to be going well well received by the locals and uh, we've also got people traveling to come and come and see us as well which is nice Fantastic. It must, must be doing something right. <laughs> and did I hear right that there's a, a whole movement happening in Upper Hut that the council's just really making it uh, easy for breweries to get in, and there's a whole section there that's going to sort of turn into Brewery Central? That's sort of what was described. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. What's so, obviously, in, in uh, Upper Hut, we've already kind of had a right behind us. Kiro just down the road, and then we've got Ciara Brewing moved in next door to us. Very cool. And then, uh, yeah, obviously. I think the council and uh, our landlord Malcolm Gillies are looking to get probably one more. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then uh, develop, develop a nice area out the front for people to come and enjoy the beers outside in the sun and you know chill. Cool. So you can take a taxi into the area and just spend the night hopping from brewery to brewery to brewery if you want. Yeah, I mean we're we're uh, we're, we're about three minutes from the train station as well, three or four minute walk. Cool. Uh, and you were talking about, uh, again, going over capacity. I spell that out again for us because you mentioned specific goals. And I think, did you say you had hit them within five weeks or something like that of the brewery so we're, opening? We're, we're aiming for 100,000 liters in mm-hmm. in our first year. Mm-hmm. And we hit 50,000 in month four. So. Fantastic. That is incredible. Um, Sorry, 60,000 a month. Oh, 60,000. Wow. So, yeah, you are are literally um, more than on target for 200,000 liters in your first year. We're in just just at the end of number six, and we're just done 86,000, so. Wow! Wow! Very cool. Oh, okay, so perhaps just under two hundred thousand, but but as you catch that momentum, yeah, you you might just hit that. That's that's pretty impressive. Um, 
Uh, well, I guess before we talk a little bit more about your story, let's describe the beers. What kind of beers do you guys make? Well, so we've got five beers in the core range. I think we probably only had four last time we spoke, so we've added another one since then. So we've got uh, American Parallel, just because I like American Parallels, and it seems as so do everybody else, because that's about 45% of our sales. Uh, we've got a India Pale Lager, so IPL. Uh, not too, not too heavy. Nice, uh, clean malt, fruity. We've got a dry hop gozer, so you know, kettle sour gozer. With, uh, some nice American dry hops in there. We've got India stout, so uh, dry hop stout, quite a dry stout, but uh, got some lovely citrus characters to it. And then we've got a uh, unit Harinze IPA, so this is a Sort of New World style IPA, unfiltered, using a nice East Coast yeast, and uh, yes, really lets the New Zealand hops shine. Nice. So, so a sort of proper East Coast IPA. I, I know you're avoiding <laughs> using those words, but is that kind of the idea? Yes, yes, sort of. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. it's a, a New World New Zealand, I'll call it. Yeah, cool. Sounds good. Um, well, uh, awesome. As I as I've said a few times, not just in in the setup for this, but in other other episodes where we've drunk in your beer and talked about it, I'm not normally a fan of hoppy beer. I'm really the malt malt guy, um, but I really like the beer you guys are producing not only is it really well balanced um it's not over it's very hoppy but it's not nothing that i've had has been overly bitter uh again it i don't know what you're actually doing it's sort of the the water profile tastes to me like it, it it's balanced a little more to the calcium chloride which gives it just this really whether that's how you're getting there or not just gives it this really beautiful um mouthfeel on virtually everything i've had but most impressive to me is the condition your beers are in um because and I'm not going to pick on anybody. I've I've been sent beer by some of the most highly rated breweries in New Zealand that is uh, hoppy stuff, and one needs to assume that if they're sending it to journalists, they're they're sending you know stuff that's fairly fresh, and it still more often than, than not comes or, you know arrives a bit damaged. You're tasting that oxidation in the hops, and I haven't found that in any of your beers. Is there some secret to that? Are you putting? Um, is there something in your bottling technique? Are you conscious of that? Um, is this the first time you're hearing this? I just I'm, I'm no, no, I don't yeah, think I'm very know. very conscious of it. It's probably one of the uh, one of the things that a lot of brewers don't do when they start up, which I've done, is gone out and spent $45,000 on equipment measuring DO. So at least oh, okay. if there is a problem, I cannot identify it all the way through the process. Got it. So, Got it. Yeah, that's one, one thing, because obviously it's a key thing to shelf life. So if you're going right. to be selling products, you need to keep the shelf life good. So. And as you touch on, probably pretty uncommon for a startup brewery? Yeah. Right. But uh, just probably because of where I've worked in the past, seen these, seen these things and, you know, thought, yeah. Right. It makes a hell of a difference. Well, I can, I can, I can definitely taste it um, uh, in the, you know, in the product. Let's talk about that a little bit. Let's let's get into your history. So, well, first, how'd you how'd you start brewing beer? Take us back to the beginning. Well, so uh, I used to like doing a, I used to like drinking beer more than anything, but uh, tried my hand at <laughs> a bit of home brewing back in the past, and yeah, didn't really take to it that much. But uh, ended up settling down in uh, Blenheim in Marlborough, meeting uh-huh. a Kiwi girl, and then a. Uh, we drank in a little bar called Dodson Street next to Renaissance Brewing and got chatting to the guys there and they needed someone to uh, come and work with them uh, to help out. So just doing a bit, you know, kegging, bottling, cleaning kegs, you know, the normal sure. job jobs you do in a brewery when you're starting out. And uh, yes, I said, yep. So I started there 
really enjoyed it at the start. I was just doing, doing part-time, so, you know, sacrificed everything else and just to do a bit of part-time work because I, I was getting really interested in this trade. And, uh, yeah, we got a bit busy there, started working full-time and was working underneath Soren Eriksson from 8 Wide Brewing. He was a mm-hmm. brewer at Renaissance at the time. We just started brewing his beers too. Yeah, and uh, eventually worked my way up into the brewery. Got trained by Soren and Andy on some of the brewing techniques. And then, uh, yeah, ended up being a brewer there and then ended up being a head brewer there a few years later. So. <laughs> right, right. So you literally... You, you more or less started on a professional level while you you, know, you did brew a few homebrew batches. It wasn't really something that, that clicked for you until you went pro. Well, started yeah. working on a professional level. That's kind of unique. And what was it like um, working at those different breweries? Uh, let's, let's I guess, go back to Renaissance because they're, they're one of the earlier um, uh, crap breweries in New Zealand. They sort of predate yeah, the, the, the Mad Dash and uh, we've seen in the last few years. Yeah, they've been around for about 11 years now, I'd say. So. Right. Yeah, no, no, it was a good good brewery to work for. I've seen lots of changes through the place while I was there. Obviously, we went from, yeah, p- uh, brewing and packaging hardly anything to quite a lot by the time I left. So. Right, right. And uh, sorry, I was I was tooling around with notes here, but uh, you mentioned, did you mention in just a moment ago, because I know you mentioned to me in the past your experience with Panhead? Yeah, so when I left Renaissance, I moved to Panhead. Uh, so just as a, just wanted a job as a production brewer there, mm-hmm. so just just you know just brewing. But and then the head brewer Dwayne Morton left to go and work at a brewery in Vietnam, so I ended up having to take the head brewer off. Right, right. There as well. So, <laughs> and what was it like working working there? Obviously, you know they recently sold. They sort of seem to be one of the craft breweries that had a lot of respect that that really shot up um, and and at least sold for a lot of money. Um, yeah. What was what was that experience like? Oh, it's pretty good. I mean, it's not like anything changed overnight when the sale happened. It was uh, everything's pretty business as normal, right? You know, there's uh, still being brewed there. They've just put mass masses of capacity in there so they can keep doing brewing it exactly the same way there, right? You know, they're not going for a bigger brewery or anything. They're still doing small batches, but into multiple tanks, right? So I I, I guess one of the things that and again, I've not had the the pleasure of uh, coming down and visiting you in, in the actual brewery, but one of the things that immediately struck me just about your presence is that uh, you've come out of the gate swinging much more so than the average sort of startup craft brewery, you know, that, that starts with 100 liters and then uh, goes to 500 liters uh, and then, you know, slowly expands over the years. Um, even, even down to your uh, Facebook presence, you know, I think I first reached out because I was writing an article and needed an image and you had responded within a minute and um, I didn't even have to ask and you sent up some samples um, and uh, they're already in six packs and again, the yeah. beer is in such great shape and you're hitting these massive targets. Um, you seem to be, there seems to be, because I don't, I don't really know the... The thinking behind some, you know, the, the the real industry, but there seems to be something very different about how you've hit the scene as compared to how the average uh, breweries hit the scene. And I can't help drawing those parallels between a company like Panhead, which also seem to really uh, have their shit together, for lack of a better word. Yeah. What What's the difference there? What What's your oh, approach, and how does, how not, does it set you I'm apart? Not from sure. You know, we, we we wanted that you know, good-looking brand, good beer. I just. Think you get them two combos, you should be fine. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So. And, and a good, good, good person on the good people on the floor as well, you know, selling your beer. So we're we at distribution from day one. Right. So yeah. Right. Gotcha. So, and what about? What about startup costs? Is that a factor? Did you, uh, um, I don't know how much of these things you want to talk about, uh, and feel free to keep, you know, the numbers and specifics private, but uh, how big of an operation was this uh, right out of the gate? Oh, it's, it's massive. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, me and my wife are 90% owners of the business, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. I've got two small shareholders at 5%. So, but, you know, it's... Uh, over half a million dollars put it that way, so to get going. Right. right. And yeah. how many, uh, what's the tank capacity? So 2,000 litre tanks. And how how many of them, sorry? I've got four fermenters and two brights. Gotcha, gotcha. So at any given time, you you got about 8,000 litres fermenting. Yeah. Right, right. Very cool. Well, um, I guess let's let's talk a bit about the brand because Boneface, that's kind of unique. You have some uh, unique uh, imagery uh, on each of the labels and there's clearly uh, a well thought out brand there. Something's going on. Tell, tell people the story of the brand of Boneface. Oh, so uh, yeah, we wanted, wanted our brand to be something that uh, we like, we're into. So again, my business partner, my wife, Selena, we both uh, like watching like, sci-fi fantasy movies both like comic books and stuff like that so we decided to create our own sort of comic comic book line right so yeah so Boneface was the name and it's the story of the Boneface outlaws from the planet Hot Trump right. so and then we've got this whole little story it's on our wall in our brew bar so we've got this whole story that goes along and then it's in the story it pop, there's white pop outs and they're all the names of our beer through the story so, cool. Very cool. And where do you plan to take that? Is are you going to? Is this this idea going to carry through? Or are you going to do? Are you going to create comic books or a more a more as, as sort of an extension of the brand, uh, part of the marketing? Like, where do you plan to take this? Yeah, well, that's sort of uh, why we did it because we thought you know it's uh, something that we take from anywhere, mm-hmm. any time. Right. So yeah, we've. we've uh, Every month we try and do a new seasonal beer where we release a poster. So it's basically a comic book snippet of, it, of each poster. Right. And then they're sort of uh, already coming along into the story. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So yeah. each time there's a new beer, it's sort of a new chapter of the story. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Well, um, let's talk about some of those seasonal beers. What kind, so again, we've, we've got a sense of the, the beers. There's obviously a hoppy um, connection between at least everything that I've tried. Even your stout is quite hoppy. You've got a Goza that's dry, uh, dry hopped. Uh, what are your seasonals like? Is that is that your brewing philosophy? You like well-balanced hoppy beers or uh, are you going to yep. be expanding into other types of beers? No, so we, the first season was our fresh hop beer, which is a white pale ale. Mm-hmm. Uh, second one was a red IPA, so yeah, hoppy again. Third one was a East, West Coast IPA, and the fourth one was an East Coast IPA. So yeah, all hoppy beers again. But uh, one we've just released is zero hops. It's uh, loaded with coffee and chocolate. So it's a uh, mocha milk stout, seven percent. Cool. Nice. Very cool, very cool. And you gonna get into sours? As it seems, just about everybody. Um, well, you got your goza, which is which is a sour. But I, uh, yeah, you haven't mentioned the words barrel program. Uh, as it seems, no, yeah, that's Most- one one thing we are looking at. There's a space next door that we're probably looking at taking part of, hopefully. So that will be uh, what we'll do is we'll put a hard line through the wall, 
one that can be isolated and we'll, we'll be able to pump water through the wall to get nice. to this other building. Right. And that would be, be the sour side. Right, and keep it separate for fears of yeah. contamination. Yep, and then we'll get a, get a older, cheaper packaging line in there as well, just so we can package up out there as well. Very cool. Yeah. Well, um, just, you know, because because we've kind of blown through so much information so quickly, let's just kind of chat a little bit and pick your brain as someone who's, you know, done a lot in the industry um, and, again, is making some some pretty big waves pretty quickly. What's what's the weirdest beer that you've ever made? Oh, uh, pretty sure. I haven't done too many weird beers. Yeah, so pretty straightforward mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Probably uh, did another mock of milk stout a little while ago, but that was a Belgian, fermented with Belgian yeast. So, right, yeah, Belgian right. mock of milk stout, aged in Pinot Noir barrels. Right. That was, uh, that was quite a good flavour. Right, uh, so... Beer de Garde, aged in Gewurz and uh, Chardonnay barrels, and then back blended. Oh, nice. Nice. And was this um, something you did at another brewery or something you did for yeah, so Boneface? They're, they're all Renaissance. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not done anything too wacky at Boneface yet. So. All right, so mostly beer that tastes like beer. Yeah. With, yeah. with extra hops. <laughs> yeah. Right. Awesome. Well, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you are uh, willing to share a recipe with us today. Is that is that yeah, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to give you our India Stout recipe. All right. Can can you describe the beer for anybody who's not had a chance to try it? Yes. Yeah, it's a, a drier, probably more of an American-style stout. Uh, Got some nice uh, chocolate coffee notes too, but then it's backed up by some uh, good citrus characters as well from the hops. And gives it quite a round mouthfeel. Yeah, there was quite a nice um, sort of juicy... Uh, I'm not drinking it right now, uh, so I, I I hope I'm recalling correctly. But I want to say citrus apricot kind of just yeah nice yeah. round fruit fruitiness to it that I thought balanced surprisingly well against that roasty character. I I wouldn't have I would have expected a bit of a clash with that hoppy of a uh, or that aromatic of a of a stout um, in terms of hop aromatics, um, but it didn't clash at all. I, I really liked it. That was probably as again a dark beer fan. Uh, that might be might have been my favorite of all the beers that um, I've tried so far. Th- that and probably the Goza. The Goza was pretty pretty fantastic as well. But again, cool. you see my taste there going into more the sour and dark <laughs> as yeah. opposed to hoppy. Um, but um, but so I'm, I I think you know I'm excited to get a get this recipe and uh, have a chance to share it with everybody. So why don't we start? Well, we'll start at the beginning. Are we doing percentages? Or are we doing batch size? Or how are you going to give this to us? I can convert yeah, it all later. Do, so keep keep it simple. Yeah. Okay, great. So let's. Yeah. Let's start with the the grain bill. Cool. So, uh, uh, ale malt is seventy eight percent. Yep. And we've got uh, carafar two is four percent. Yep. Medium crystal four percent. Okay. Dark crystal four percent. All right, and those crystals, uh, who, who's what malts are you using? So we're using uh, their beds. Uh, Bairds, okay, gotcha. Yeah. And for the base grain, are you using Bairds as well? Or are you using um, no, malt, malt Europe? Malt Europe, got it. Okay. Yeah. And sorry, did I did I cut you off there in the malt bill, or no, was no, that you, everything? No, you, yeah, no, a bit, bit more. So we've got four uh, percent chocolate wheat from Weimar. Oh, chocolate wheat, interesting. Yep. Yeah. And then we've got four uh, percent special W from Weimar. Oh, cool. And what and do you think the? Oh, sorry, go on. Roasted barley. One point six percent. Got it. Um, and what do you think the chocolate wheat gives it as opposed to, say, just a standard chocolate um, malt? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not too sure. Eh? I just uh, like using it in beers. It seems to, when the beer gets a bit older, the, the flavour seems to be a bit better. Oh, I see. A bit more, a bit more rounder, a bit more cleaner still. Cool. I don't know. Yeah. I have seen sometimes in certain stouts uh, where they can age and, yeah, you're left with sort of the more stringent, less pleasant parts of, of that roasted malt. So is that yeah. what you're kind of referring to, that when it yeah. drops out, yeah, you're left the, with the, the chocolate? The wheat just, yeah, yeah, the wheat left a bit more. I think find that with uh, the wheat, chocolate wheat and chocolate, right? Okay. They both give a, not just a nice chocolatey flavor later on. You know? Yeah, I've, I've had good luck using I've had uh, good luck using chocolate uh, wheat in a few beers, but I haven't uh, tried chocolate rye. I'll have to give that a go. Um, all right. So, and what about uh, the mash temp on this thing? So mash temp hit for about 67. Okay, 67. And then any kind of steps or anything or just a single infusion? No, single infusion. Uh, a pH of around 5.3. All right. And what are you doing for water? Any treatment there? Yeah, so we use uh, calcium, calcium chloride, calcium sulfate, and baking soda. Oh, interesting. And um, with the baking soda, and so any parts per million or measurements um, you, you can give us? Uh, so for, for for my mashes, I'm using 300 grams of each. So okay. I'll, be, I'll probably say if you're doing a 50-liter batch, it'd be probably about a teaspoon of each, about okay. five grams of each. Yeah. All right. And if in 50 liters, okay, I'm going to convert Just this off into the top a, of my head. That is. Yeah. Yeah. So three, 300 grams in uh, how big of, how big is your mash? So mash will be about, well, call it a 2000 liter batch size brew. Okay, cool. And yeah. You, I'll, I'll, I'll suss that out. Um, and I'm, yeah. I'm converting everything into 23 liters for home brewers. Um, so that you yeah. end up with 19 in the, in the, uh, keg. Obviously, the obviously it depends on the water as well, of course. Sure, sure, sure. And what are you starting with? So we're a pH about nine point three at the moment, I think. Okay, got it. Pretty pretty soft water. Yeah, yeah, really right. soft. Um, all right, and then the hops, of course. Yep. So we're using Pacific Joe for better. Mm-hmm. Is that at about sixty? Yep, sixty minutes. So do a seventy-five minute boil, and then then at sixty. All right. And then we're using Amarillo in a whirlpool. Okay. And Amarillo and Citra in the uh, toilet. Yep, okay. And, oh, sorry, I don't know if I got measurements there. What was the measurements on the on the? Um, so we use five kg in the whirlpool and then ten kg dry hop in total. So. Okay, for two thousand liters, and I'll I'll, yeah. I'll sort that out. And so, how much for the bittering? Uh, she's 1.6 kg. Okay. 1.6 kg for 2000 liter batch size. Got it. Um, and any, you got any alpha acids in front of you or or it's okay if you don't, but, um, if you do, I'll take this. Uh, my computer's just died. I'm just looking at it. That's all right. My computer's just gone into restart mode. Sorry. Oh, fair enough. Well, while we wait, while we wait for that, because um, I'm I'm sort of taking this all in and not writing it down. I'm going to come back and write this all down after after the fact, because yeah. otherwise everyone will hear my computer tapping away or my fingers tapping away on the keyboard. Um, but uh, what did what did you say the the whirlpool hops were? It was Amarillo, and I can't remember Amarillo, the amount. Yeah. 
I've, uh, and that's five five kg. Five kg, and then what was yeah. the dry hop? Amarillo and Citra. And C- Amarillo and Citra, and what were the amounts yeah. just in the dry hop? That was five kg of each of those as well. Of, of each, okay. And ha- um, and how would you adjust for the homebrewer? What would you, your advice be for adjusting for that uh, whirlpool? Because uh, obviously, every you know every professional brewery's got a different amount of time that those hops are sitting there in the whirlpool. Yeah, so we're probably steeping in there for about twenty minutes. Okay, uh, yeah. um, so not not that long. So that'd be probably no. about comparable. So basically, you'd add those hops as a home brewer just to flame out, and uh, assuming that it takes you about twenty minutes to get uh, your well, it'd be uh, depends, I guess. Yeah. So if you've got a chiller that gets you down below that uh, summarization point faster, then you might add them in what a few minutes early, or just leave let things sit for a few minutes longer before uh, adding yeah. your chiller. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, that makes sense. And uh, any special approach to dry hopping? Uh, do you do it uh, while fermentation is still active? Do you do it once it's completed? Warm, cold? No, once once it's completed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at at the same fermentation temp at um, which we haven't gotten into yet, but you don't you don't drop the temp or anything before you uh, add the dry hopping. No. No. Do it. No. Easy rise the temp at the end of ferment. Sure, sure. Um, well, let's talk about that. Let's first talk about the yeast. What are you using for yeast? So we use we use a double O eight yeast, which okay. is a east east coast yeast. Oh wow. Oh, I didn't know that. For so for all the um, yeast you're using that. I mean, it's for yeah. all the beers. Oh, that's interesting. That's yeah. that's unique. I would have assumed it was a a Cal Ale, but um, strain. But but yeah, perhaps that's what's uh, contributing to that very consistent sort of mouthfeel that I was talking about and attributing a lot to the calcium chloride. That's I'll have to give that a shot. Um, yes, I think you get best of both worlds with that yeast. Hey? It's a good good one for hops and a good one for malt as well. Huh, nice. nice. And that's WLP uh, 008? Yeah. yeah. And then right. we use uh, 3470 for DIPO. Um, so oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> got it. And what are you, <clears throat> what's the fermentation temperature? So for the stout, it'll be uh, 19 degrees. All right. And any kind of, just a standard diacetyl rest at the end or any kind of a, yeah. a ramp no, up? Okay. Just standard. All right. Um, and then any special conditioning or anything that we need to know about? No, just uh, two two to three days on a dry top, depending on taste. Right. And cool. And carb it up to sort of any sta- standard levels, high, low? 2.4. 2.4 volumes, I do it too, so you're not too high. All right. Um, I I think that is pretty clear. Uh, is there anything that I'm missing? Have we covered everything? Oh, we I didn't get so. the alpha acid. Did that, uh, did that program Probably, fire up? No, it's still not going, unfortunately. It's, all uh, right. Well, that's all right. If it, if it fires up by the time we wrap, then uh, we'll take that from you. And if not, then I'll get the alpha acids from you uh, and and messenger and then share them in the post interview segment. So, um, that is very cool. Again, I think this is a really great beer for people who don't, who like hoppy beers and are kind of eh about dark beers. Uh, I think this is one that you're really going to like. Uh, and if you, uh, if you're like me and you like dark beers, but don't generally care for uh, hoppy beers, I think you're also going to like it. So it's a really well-rounded, unique stout, full of flavor. Um, I I'd say, uh, 
uh, not that this style exists, but you know, we talk about American stouts. This is almost like an, yeah, an East coast American stout. It does have that sort of juicy quality, but I've not heard that word used in the context of a stout, or at least that's how it struck my palate. Uh, yeah. And, and I think it's, cool. I think it's really great. Well, just um, put nitro in the bar as well. It's tasting pretty good. Oh, that sounds that sounds really cool. And how how can anybody find that? Uh, just just at the tap room, or is it going to go at out the and tap room? And uh, I think we had some on a uh, Volstead trading down in Christchurch, but I think they might have finished it now. Oh, okay. Well, you got to send some up to Vultures Lane, so up us up up here, but further north can can give it a try. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, I guess any advice for home brewers? You know, the again, this is a sh- this is a show about professional brewers made for home brewers to some extent. Um, do you what, for all the home brewers listening? What is what's your best piece of advice? People want to make better beer. What do they got to do that you don't see yeah. enough of them already doing? Yeah, just uh, keep on that sanitation. Make sure everything's sanitized all the time. Everything that's going to come into contact with your beer, especially I mean, all your valves, everything. Just I'm really pedantic on spraying everything with sanitizer the whole time, all the time. Sure. Not even if it's been just in the air for a couple of minutes and it's already been in sunny, I'll right. spray it again. Just right. keep keep doing it and uh, oxygen as well. Oh yeah. Anyway, anyway, you think your beer is going to come in contact with oxygen, mate? Sure oh, and, and that can't, side, right? It can't. Yeah. So uh, get yourself a little CO2 setup. Do some purging. Right. Make sure you run out your hoses and you should be sweet. Right. What do you think the effects are for the average home brewer who, I, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I assume the average uh, sort of intermediate level home brewer is um, going to be siphoning off their, uh, I, don't, I know there are an increasing number of home brewers who are using the sort of closed system uh, you know, push use gas to push from the carboy into the or the bucket into the keg. But I don't think that's that common. I think most people I know I'm still doing it. Just I'll purge the keg uh, and I'll sort of take a piece of tin foil there and kind of hold it over the opening to keep as much of that CO2 in as I can. Slide my racking cane uh, down in through a little crack and rack the beer in. Um, but it's far from perfect. And then again, you know, I'll purge after it's filled. Uh, what do you? How much damage is being caused there? Because it strikes me as though it might be considerable. And do you have a better advice for home brewers that are trying to keep that oxygen out of their their kegs? As, as long as your as long as your kegs are really well purged, you should be fine. You know, yeah, you can if you've got a, a, a CO two in and a purge out, you can usually probably say a bath for probably. 30, 40 seconds, you should be, the kick should be more or less done. Right. So, but if you're purging and you're doing that technique that I mentioned where you're just kind of putting some foil or something to kind of keep that CO2 in, I mean, is it actually heavy enough that it's going to sit around in there for a while and you're going to minimize that oxygen or is it kind of dissipating the second there's a crack in the foil and oxygen gets a chance to get in there? Uh, no, it should, should be fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, that was an area of my process I've always sort of wondered about. Well, um, how can folks get your beer? What's the best way? You know, obviously people all around uh, the country are listening to this. We're getting an increasing uh, number of people listening in Australia and even the states. How can people uh, try your beer? Yes, so I'm not sure exactly what stores are available because we use distribution, but it should be uh, quite widely available around the country at the moment. Yeah, Uh, noodles, liquor lands, yeah, places like that. Very cool. And who's selling it online? 
I think Beer Cellar have got some online. Okay, great. Well, fantastic. Any final thoughts or anything you'd like to share before we uh, we wrap up? No, no, just like to say thanks for letting me do the interview. And, uh, yeah, look forward to hearing the rest of them. It's, it's good listening to the first one. Cool. It's a good show. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate that. And again, I really appreciate you being willing to do this twice for sending up the beer. It's great stuff. And uh, for anyone who hasn't tried it, uh, seek out Boneface. They're they're making some pretty wonderful beer. And I suspect we're going to see some pretty big things from the company uh, as a whole. So thanks very much, Matt. Uh, You have a great rest of your day. Cool. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Compact and simple to use with a small footprint for brewing indoors, the Grainfather makes it easy for you to brew professional quality beers at home. The Grainfather is an all-in-one brewing system that lets you brew all-grain beer in a single, compact stainless steel unit. It uses an electric heating element and pump to maintain a constant temperature and to circulate the wort during the mashing and cooling stages. It also comes with a counterflow chiller to reduce chilling times and produce high-quality wort. And now, with the addition of their conical fermenter, the Grainfather takes things one step further by offering homebrewers state-of-the-art temperature-controlled fermentation just like commercial breweries use. And with the Grainfather Recipe Creator and Connect app, you can easily design a recipe, sync your brewing system with your phone, and then just sit back and relax as the app takes over and assures that you maintain your scheduled mash temps and boil schedule. Head to grainfather.com to purchase your all-in-one brewing system today and to sign up for their free recipe creator tool. Once more, head on over to grainfather.com, that's grainfather.com, and get started today. Pānui Bruco is a fast-growing farmhouse brewery located at Kirikiri in the far north, offering a wide range of beer styles from our highly sessionable Woodamu Wallace Scottish Ale to our unfiltered East Coast Double IPA bursting with juicy tropical fruit flavours or if you prefer the complexities of farmhouse ales and mixed ferments then try our summer love saison a refreshing belgian saison that is brimming with notes of black pepper and ripe pineapple just one of the many enticing beers in our farmhouse and sour funk series to find out more about our tasting room trading hours or our growing lineup of beers go to kainuibruco.co.nz that's kainuibruco.co.nz kia ora that Gary Gary has mute on his phone right now he he's still muted and he's sitting there fumbling with his phone going uh uh how do I get back on uh <laughs> yeah did I have that did I have that right you're supposed to remind you're the tech guy bro you're just, supposed to, you're just supposed to know um, <laughs> normally I get a message saying we're back and blah blah blah. I just, I I just thought you were a pro um, now. We're, yeah, this cool. is episode number five. You're, yeah, yeah, you're a professional. True. I expect the utmost that standard. Well, uh, as everyone listening knows, this is this is the show about New Zealand professional brewers for home brewers. And when it comes to brewing world class beer at home, it really boils down to using fresh quality ingredients and the right equipment. And that is why we shop, myself and Gary, we shop at Brew Shop. 
www.homebrewsupplies.co.nz. Born out of frustration with half-baked attempts at online homebrew supply stores in New Zealand, Brew Shop's goal is to provide Kiwi homebrewers with the best ingredients, supplies, and customer service in this country. There's no gin flavor packs, no fancy liquor essences or wine kits, just everything that you need to make good quality beer. Now, Brew Shop carries a huge range of ingredients and equipment and delivers it to your door fast. They store all of their hops in vacuum-sealed foil bags, and their high turnover rate ensures that all of their malt and liquid yeast arrives on your doorstep fresh. So all of you guys, all of you listening to the New Zealand Brewer podcast can save 10% on your next order through the month uh, through the month of October and November. Uh, simply head on over to brewshop.co.nz. Uh, again, that's brewshop.co.nz. Enter your coupon code, which is NZ Brewer. So that's coupon code NZ Brewer during checkout. And while you're there, be sure to thank them for being a sponsor of this show and helping to make the New Zealand Brewer podcast possible. So once more, head on over to brewshop.co.nz. That's brewshop.co.nz and get everything that you need to ensure that your next beer is brewed right. So uh, obviously that was, you know, they're a sponsor and that was put together to make sure that you got all of the info that you needed. Make sure you got that coupon code, which you should totally take advantage of. But I do kind of want to sincerely say before we move on that, you know, that is that's that's my brew shop. That's that's the place that I go to buy ingredients. Gary, who is a professional brewer, I know he's still picking up things there all the time. They not only uh, offer great products. Uh, they they offer great customer service. It gets there fast. But the thing that impresses me the most is just the quality of the ingredients. And I'm not going to bag on any one shop or another, but I have ordered a lot of kind of gnarly brown hops. I don't know about uh, you, Gary, <laughs> and been just disappointed where I get it. And I, oh, or you get this, this foil bag and it's been pierced and it's kind of inflated and oxygen is clearly in there. And it's just a bummer. And I never have that uh, ever with these guys. And that is why I shop. And that's why I reached out to them to say, if, you know, to ask them if they'd support the show. Uh, and they have, and I'm, I'm really stoked to have them on board. So uh, again, just wanted uh, to, to stress that to you guys. If you live in an area, if you don't have a local and you want to get stuff sent uh, right to your door, then head on down to uh, brewshop.co.nz and check them out. Um, all right. So what you think of the interview there, Gary? And what's on your mind after listening to all that? I thought it was really good. Um, Matt, is is obviously a really good brewer. He's had a lot of good experience in the industry and starting up his own thing. It's cool to see guys like that starting their own thing. You know, it's um he's he's um gone the right path, I guess, for a brewery. Uh, not so much myself, but you know, it's he, those are the guys who you want starting breweries. The guys who have gone and had the the pro experience, and then that's why I guess he's come out of the gate with such excellent beer. Um, yeah, it was cool sharing a recipe again. That's, um, that's Speaking awesome. of that recipe, um, we're going to crack that beer because you bought us some more of the beer. We, yes. <laughs> I did more because uh, you drank no, it all. God, I think it was you who drank it all. Um, we really, we kind of need to come to some kind of an agreement. I think we should start drinking like an hour before the show because uh, I don't know. I was kind of half asleep. <laughs> I was half Not asleep during the intro and like coming out of these, sitting yeah, here yeah. for an hour on my little stool here uh, in front of my computer as I uh, listen to that whole thing down. I'm like ready to party when it's over. Like what? Why are we not? Why are we? <laughs> it does. Why seem are like we that. not starting the drinking? Oh, I literally sooner? was. Yeah. 
my my eyes were yeah, almost shut when we started. But you know, yeah, that's what happens when you alcohol is a uh, is one of those things that the least we could do for these these listeners is like you know ha- have a well, little bit right. of yeah. Uh, yeah, come in half yeah. half pie, John. Half it's pie. That 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 could be the name of the show. We'll just uh, half pie. <laughs> Um, all right. So you got yours in your glass. We're drinking the, so we never, this is how terrible I am at doing my job. So we never even talked, we never mentioned the name of the beer. He, he mentioned that it was his India oh. stout, but it is called. Hey, we have a few yeah, times. We, like we, have, said, we have a few times. In yeah, we episodes. have, we have got it in there, um, in past episodes, but it is called the darkness. So anybody interested in a trying this beer, go seek out Boneface the darkness it's their india stout uh which uh i think is a great beer and um you you can take a crack at cloning it because we uh as you as you just heard we've got the recipe i'm gonna recap that for you but before we do that um let's uh let's take a few sips here and describe what we're getting what do you get off this beer oh yeah Uh, straight away i just get nice roastiness see that's but you know, like an American stout, but with some hops here, and just to accentuate it, this is yes. There's Smells certainly really plenty of roastiness, but I see. I get when I'm certainly you know when I'm smelling it, I'm getting the aroma. It's it's a strikingly hoppy stout. There are not too many. I can't mm. think of another stout that I've drinking that really has that much. Again, if you if you can weigh in on whether or not you agree with this, but it has a juicy quality mm. to it, especially in the aroma. I really get a lot of fruitiness from this the, again that apricot yeah. kind of some citrus but um but certainly when you take that first sti- uh, sip uh, there is a lot of that traditional big american it's, stout in there yeah yeah for sure i uh i think i was in my early homebrewing career i friends of mine brewed beers like this so I, I'm, I'm well well um versed in this style of beer super hoppy stouty beer but this is kind of like what a black IPA. Yeah, but be. you guys were just you guys were just <laughs> screwing up your um, clones of Janice Brown, uh, Janice Brown, weren't were you? <laughs> they weren't even really meant to be stouts. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's, it doesn't seem. But lots of malt and lots of hops doesn't seem unfamiliar right. to me. Um, but it's, I guess, the roastiness is, is you know something that you don't always get with hops. But it's, I just like it how you're pushing the malt to a high level and you're pushing the hops to a high level, and they they can still work. It's I don't think I'm not a fan of black IPA, so I, I don't think you can do it so much there and, and keep it super dry. Um, but this, yeah, this is really well. That's good. the thing that that throws me about this beer is I'm not a big fan of black IPA either. I don't normally like that um, clash of roastiness and so much fruitiness mm. from the hops. But I think you're right. I think it's that higher but, finishing gravity. It's not the dry beer of an IPA, mm-hmm. um, and it just really works. It's really a nice. Again, I'm speaking technically. Obviously, it's a it's a New Zealand stout, but stylistically, it's an American stout, or at least that's how I interpret it. And it's really good. Yeah, that's delicious. Well, mm. yeah, they do an awesome job with hoppy beer. If you if you're a fan of hoppy beers, and I know that a lot of listeners out there will be, then then seek them out because their beer is in excellent condition. Um, he's doing some good things with extracting hop oils, and and he's keeping them fresh. Like he said, spent forty five grand on a on a Jehalt meter, I assume. So get out there and buy some of his beers because you know you, you, if you, if you like hoppy beers, this is this is. It's good really stuff. a problem. Like once you dial your taste buds into off flavors, particularly oxidation, it just ruins so much of the beer. I, I went through. You know, I've said it a lot of times that I'm not really a huge IPA fan, but so much of that 
I thought for years I just hated IPAs because I went through a big process of self-education. I was living in rural New Zealand um, in the far north, unable to get anything that I couldn't get online. And I was just ordering all of these hoppy beers, these famous beers. And I just thought IPAs tasted like cardboard <laughs> for years. Um, and, I, yeah, and, yeah. and you do still, again, I said it in the interview, but these big names big companies winning awards and they'll bottle their beer and it sends off uh, they'll send it off to you and by the time you get it it's tasting pretty um pretty damaged and i i haven't had any of that from these guys so i don't know they're, no, they're they doing are, it right they are. it's it's a huge problem and, and like you said most i think there are still a lot of people out there that are just buying supermarket hoppy beers and maybe never had it at the brewery or never had it on tap and they're just thinking, you know, this is what a hoppy beer tastes like, that cardboardy, overly malty um, sort of alpha, uh, sorry, um, beta acid quality is just what, what hoppy beers taste like. But, yeah, it's, it's, it is a big problem mm-hmm. in New Zealand at the moment. But these guys are... These guys are yeah, for it. sure, for sure. Well, let's do a quick recipe recap for everybody uh, who wants to take a stab at brewing this beer. So um, the way this is going to work, and I've said it before, uh, but just for anyone who's new here, uh, we're going to convert everything into 23-liter batches. The uh, idea there is you got 23 liters at the end of your boil, 20 or 21 of them are going to make it into your fermenter, and then uh, hopefully 19 of them are going to make it into your keg, and you'll have a full keg. So that's kind of where we come up with that 23-liter number. Um, and we didn't get the alpha acids on that, and we didn't get the OG and the FG, and that is completely my fault on the OG and the FG, but I've calculated everything out using my software. Again, he uses WLP008, that's the White Labs East Coast yeast, and so I calculated everything with a sort of average attenuation. That yeast strain attenuates between 70 uh, and 75%, I calculated it at 73%. So your mileage may vary, uh, but here's everything converted into that 23-liter batch. So you hopefully end up with a full keg, a full 19-liter keg of finished beer. We got 5.2 kgs of ale malt. Uh, we got 260 grams of Carafa 2. 260 grams of medium crystal, and that's Baird's medium crystal, which I believe is about 55 Lovabon. Uh, I think that's 150 EBC. Then we got 260 grams of dark crystal, which uh, I don't remember the EBC. I think I think it's about 90 something uh, uh, Lovabon and something like 260-ish EBC. Um, and again, he used Baird's, I believe. We got 260 grams of chocolate wheat. 260 grams of special W and 100 and uh, so sorry here uh, just checking my notes 130 grams of roasted barley uh, the mash temp is 67 degrees it's just a single infusion mash he specifically mentioned a pH of 5.3 uh, for the mash with a starting water pH of 9.3 uh, he uses what calculates out to three grams of calcium chloride three grams of uh, calcium sulfur and three grams of baking soda. Uh, the there's a 75 minute 
boil time and uh, at 60 minutes or with 60 minutes to go he adds 18 grams of pacific jade we don't have the specific alpha acids on that but uh, uh again i'll go i'll go find whatever new zealand hops is selling right now and find the alpha acid on that because chances are it's going to be about the same and we'll we'll publish that somewhere on the site soon i'm kind of collecting a few recipes and then we're going to publish them all at once in the not too distant future um, and then we've got 58 grams of amarillo at flame out um, and 58 grams of amarillo and 58 grams of citra for a dry hop I mean, let's, let's sit there for about two to three days to taste um, according to again my software we've got an og of 1061 with a final gravity of 1017 that kind of tastes about right wouldn't you say a uh, final gravity of 1017 <laughs> Um, maybe a little, maybe a touch lock because it's, um, oh, yeah, it's how yeah, really hard to say. That, that tastes right to me, but I, we'll, we'll find out and then again, we'll update you next week or not, not next week, I guess in two weeks when we have the next episode or on the site. Uh, and he's using once more WLP 008, the White Labs East Coast yeast strain. He ferments at 19 degrees, does a diacetyl rest, and then carbonates to 2.4 volumes. So, um, there we go. Yeah. Any 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 Solid. thoughts on that? Anything you want to add? I mean, I know that we were we were kind of while we were listening, we were we were messaging each other as not to interrupt the audio uh, about uh, the purging discussion. Did you have thoughts on that? Yes. Um, I think it's a big thing for homebrewers. Is just if you want to brew really good hoppy beer, then you've just got to keep oxygen away sure. from your beer. Beer uh, oxygen and diacetyl. That is, those are the two biggest enemies of hops and. I think there's some easy things you can do to keep oxygen, you know, away from the beer. It doesn't take that much um, know-how, or well, it takes a bit of know-how, I guess, a bit of research, but it doesn't take that much practical use of it. So, um, well, how do I keep oxygen away from my from my beer, Gary? Like, I'm a homebrewer okay, with a I'm, with I'm doing whoa. 19 liter kegs. I'm I'm not doing anything fancy. Like, I want to keep uh, oxygen. Out. You heard me in that in that interview asking those questions like that that is that's been my process yeah, so what, what, what do you do what how, yeah what are you what's your process again i i, I sort of lost i missed so you're basically just like you were in the other room not listening so, yeah. i heard you talking and i was like fair enough what, fair what? enough fair enough my, my <laughs> wife does that all the time uh, no, but I heard you um, say yeah so so what i'll do is I'll, I'll purge the keg you know the standard just as though there was beer in it you know purge it pfft, purge it, you know, fill it up with CO2, get it as full as all that oxygen out, fill it up with as just as close yeah. to pure CO2 as I can. And then, cause I got to get the beer in there and I'm not doing a, what do you call that? A sort of not, it's not seamless. Yeah. It's not, a, I'm not doing a closed sort of, sort of thing. It's not, not, it's not closed. I'm not doing I mean, a closed even, transfer. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'll just, I'll mean, pop it as quickly as I can and I'll take some tin foil and press it into the top of the, um, that little hole there. And then I'll sort of sneak my racking, you know, the, the cable into the keg, get it down into the bottom and then give the, give the auto siphon thing a pump and get the beer going in while doing my best to, you know, keep that foil and keep things tight, but inevitably it moves around. It's not a, a tight seal. Um, there's all kinds of potential exposure and, uh, and that's how I learned to do it. It generally, uh, doesn't give me any problems and I, but I, but 
you don't have super but, hoppy beers. But I don't <laughs> brew super hoppy beers. Um, but that is that you know that that comes recommended by people a lot smarter than me, and and I I mm. I can't think of a better way to do it as just the normal homebrewer. No. So that's really my question for the yeah. average homebrewer is not going to do mm. a closed transfer. Um, what mm. what do you have to say about that approach? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that sounds pretty good. Like you, for that way, you just got to make sure you're that real first initial because well, the way you're purging it is not you're not getting rid of all the O2 in the keg. The way one way you can get rid of all the O2 in the keg is quite easy. You just fill it up with, if you can be bothered, um, fill it up with completely with sanitizer to the top. So add tw- uh, 20, 90, 20 liters or whatever it takes mm-hmm, to fill it mm-hmm. right to the top. Add thirty mils of Put, um, push it all out. Star sand. Yeah, add 30 mils of star sand, leave it there for, you know, uh, like literally fill it right to the top so it's yeah. leaking out the top. Um, and then, so yeah, 30 mils of star sand, then just leave it there for three minutes then push it all out with CO2. So you're literally just got nothing left in there. There's a little bit of liquid which will have bugger all dissolve CO2 and R. Uh, yeah, that's O2 a good, in it. good, good then, point. Then, then you can go and push, you know, push your beer into it and, and that way you've got, you know, um, you're not picking up any O2 as you're going in. Um, the other way, if you are just a little bit lazier and you're um, and you're not, you're just purging it a few times. Then make sure your initial transfer is a, is just not creating much turbulence because there will be O2 in there. And if you just really do it very very gently to start with, um, just to, just until the beer is covering your dip, uh, that that dip tube, then you're not picking up like the turbulence is what's picking up the, mm. the oxygen. So you just do it really, really gently and then you can pick up a little bit of pace. But um yeah, I mean O two is is a big big issue if you like super poppy bears. To be honest, I guess if you're a home brewer you're normally drinking yeah. it before it goes off. Yeah, oh, but if you're entering competition, um I would recommend just do whatever you can. If it's a hobby beer, do everything you can. Do that do that full purge technique. Um and then and then into your beers like that, you'll do a lot better in competitions for hobby beers. Sure, and you know certainly the closed transfer is the way to go. It's just a little. It's just, I don't know. I'm trying to. I guess I'm trying to. Oh yeah, t- trying to craft advice for the a- the average person, and I know that that's not going to be the average. Yeah, the average totally. person's technique. Um, but yeah. good stuff. Well, what else do we got to talk about? <laughs> yeah, I know we have more. Um, uh, I'm looking at my notes here, so. We were talking about this idea of having a little bit of a not a well, is it a competition? I guess it's not a homebrew comp. We're not gonna invite everybody to enter, you know, four thousand beers. But we wanna we're sharing these clone recipes with you guys each each week now, um, and we want to invite you all to take a crack at cloning any one of the beers, any professional beers uh, that are shared or the recipes for one of these professional beers that are shared here on this show. Take a crack at brewing one, send us two bottles, and uh, we're going to drink them side by side with the the professional um, bottle. And if we can't tell the difference, you know, we're both going to quietly on our own take a crack at guessing which one is the clone or the homebrewed version, which one is the the pro 
brewed version. And if we can't tell, then you're going to win something cool. We haven't figured out what that is just yet. We want to give you beer, but we got to look into that and make sure that that's legal to go and offer beer as a prize. So we, so officially for this episode, we don't know what that prize is because we hatched this idea about three minutes before we um, started recording. Mm-hmm. But uh, that is that. That's what we're going to do. So get us get started on those beers and uh, we'll give you something fun for your effort. And, you know, you'll you, you'll get all this uh, love and attention uh, for 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 Kudos. your beer. So um, get started on those beers. Get in touch with us either on the Facebook page. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash New Zealand Brewer or go to New Zealand Brewer.co.nz and uh, you can find a contact tab there. So um, we've got some questions, have we not, Gary, that have come in? Some people, we do. some of you, just, you guys have submitted some questions. Right We're going to take a stab at answering okay. them. Um, I do, you know, kind of want to set, uh, I guess, a precedent of sorts before we get into these questions of just, I don't want to pretend to be, you know, to know shit that I don't and, and go and Google answers before these questions come in. Uh, I kind of saw some of these. We, mm. we haven't done any of that. Gary is a a professional brewer and he, he actually studies this stuff and kind of knows what he's talking about. I'm, I, I, I like to bit. think I'm a pretty decent brewer. I've won a lot of awards and I think I make pretty decent beer. Um, but I'm kind of a lazy brewer who finds, um, low, I'm lazy. I'm not lazy. Actually. I just have no freaking time. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to stop you there, John. You, I mean, John is not, a, he's yeah. How do I put this? He goes to the nth degree to make sure his beer does not come in contact with uh, foreign <laughs> microbes, or, or you know, or um, just he he makes sure he makes really excellent beer um, in a lazy way. Sometimes a practical. Sure. I yeah. try to find qu- uh, ways to spend less time because I have none of it making hopefully world class beer. So so you you're going to get a practical take from me with not a whole hell of a lot of education or science to back it up and you're going to get actually the opposite from Gary. You're going to get somebody who does this uh, for a living and has actually studied this. Um, so um it's uh, as you can imagine no fun to be in a room with us as we drink beer together cuz all we do <laughs> is argue about it. Um but we are sort of two sides to the same um, coin. And and that's kind of how we're going to feel these questions as they come in now and in the future. Um, But we do appreciate you guys submitting them. They they make it fun and they give us a chance to um, hopefully shed some light on some issues for others that, uh, you know, they may have not thought to to ask, to wonder about until you, you know, put the question before us. So why don't you shoot those uh, at us, Gary? Yeah, okay, so we've got one from Reese. Hi, guys. Do you recommend racking to a secondary after primary fermentation is complete? Um, cheers. So he didn't listen to the last episode, um, John. Which is fair enough. You know, we're only five, we're only five <laughs> in. I, we can't. And, <laughs> um, and it was about it's two and a half hours long. So, you know, Ooh, that's he might not have got – like, we, oh. we got some uh, blame to be uh, um, cast in our direction. <laughs> On that one. Um, So I'm going to answer this because I know that I, well, I know I certainly have an opinion about this. Um, In in my very firm opinion, no, don't put your beer in a secondary. There are times, of course, you want to mess with a secondary if you're making a sour beer, if you're going to age your beer on fruit or oak or something like that. If it's going to sit around for more than 
uh, a few weeks, a month, then I think a secondary makes sense. But for the average home brewer, you're just exposing your beer to a, more oxygen and additional uh, opportunities for infection. So that idea of a secondary, though, it is still fairly prevalent with New Zealand home brewers that I meet. That's a pretty, to my mind and in my home brewing circles and the places that I learned everything that I learned, that's a pretty antiquated idea. That's in a lot of the books that came out 20 years ago that are still around and people are still reading, um, but th there's no need for a secondary for your average batch of beer, um, in my opinion. Gary? Uh, I, I couldn't agree more, John. Um, it, yeah, I don't, I've never used a secondary I can't, like you say, if you if you're adding some fruit or something like that, but otherwise, no. Yeah, I'm need. trying to think. I mean, I I do do the occasional fruit beer and and or sour beer and any and and I use secondaries for those because, um, yeah. Well, you don't want all that. You, it's just yeah. It's, you don't want all that yeah. tube in there sitting around, all that all that hop matter and all that yeast for a couple of months. Um, mm. And often you just want to make uh, you want to lower that oxygen. So if a beer is gonna be sitting. Um, for a couple of months, I don't want any oxygen and yet you can't ferment a beer with zero headspace. You know, it's going to explode everywhere. So, yeah. so what I'll usually do if I plan on doing a secondary is, uh, let's say it was, um, uh, I was hoping for 19 liters of beer. I would try, I would ferment, I do the first seven days in a bucket or in a 30 liter fermenter or something like that uh, and and try and ferment about 23, 24 liters knowing that I'm going to lose several of those uh, to Trube uh, and then I'd rack off into that 19 liter fermenter and just fill it right up to the top um, so that I'm getting no O2 in there and again the only reason I would do that is if I wanted to age it on oak or if I wanted to add fruit or something like that but otherwise... Yeah, actually, maybe we should qualify that this this is for lagers as well because I don't think there's any reason for a secondary fermenter for oh, a lager as well, um, and and that has always been, you know, even until you know five or six years ago, like people were still using, or even more recent than that, even the most technical brewers were still using a secondary for lagers, but. That's still not really necessary these days. No, either, no, either. and and again, I think, and again, you disagreed to a certain extent more than, uh, uh, or you feel differently to a certain extent than I do. And we talked about this in the last episode, but I don't think yeast autolysis is as huge of. I don't think it's this big, bad, scary thing. Especially not at a low temperature. If you're lagering, it's a low temperature. Exactly, temperature exactly, and so. and you're still not um, leaving it in the primary for more than you know four or five weeks. Uh, so no 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 yeah oh should, should we but should we, and then again i'm just thinking about people may not have fermentation control so that that would be one of the first things i do if i wanted to improve the quality of my beer is um is uh temperature sure. control sorry and and so maybe that, that could be an issue if you with yeast autolysis but um if you're doing one of the yeah it's just not really that necessary look up the fast lagering mm. method <laughs> it's always a good thing to do. I think there's just really no need to uh, go into a yeah. secondary for a lager. If you, especially if you're I do need to apologize to the listener. We're getting some technical stuff on Gary's mic. It's just cracking a bit, which I actually don't think Gary is your fault. I think it's my um, my machine's fault. It's it's struggling to do the right. recording and all of these things. But 
It, it is a little bit my fault. I was supposed to get a new... Oh, it's, it's yeah, well, I, that's what I think. But I was on. supposed to get a new yeah, mic. We're just hearing a little cracking. So my apologies, guys. But, you know, again, we're we're five episodes in. We'll sort it. So shoot the next question at us, Gary. Understanding step mashing. As touched on in episode four with Craftworks, benefits, time at each temp, etc. Cheers. This is from Tony. All right. So this is the whole reason that I, I clarified before we started answering that we're not going to go and Google a whole bunch of answers because I don't have some. I know the basics of this. I know, you know, I know. And Gary, you can weigh in afterwards. I certainly understand step mashing. I don't have all that data loaded up in my head to tell you which enzyme is doing what at what temperature. But the the long and short of what I know, and keep me in check here, Gary, is that um, step mashing is really again, it's it's a traditional process that has that mostly, not entirely, but mostly. Um, exists because malt was so undermodified in the past. You know, the barley and wheat has been genetically modified and and sometimes naturally modified so many times, wheat in particular, you know, so many times over the last century that uh, the the sugars are much, much more available uh, in modern wheat than they were uh, 50 years ago. And so, uh, in the past, you'd have to run a uh, so at different temperatures, different enzymes are what's the word I'm looking for? Not optimized, but it, well, yeah, well, well, there you know, there's a lot of activity at different temperatures. It's not as precise as the as the articles lead us to believe, but there are there there different temperatures are optimal for different enzymes. So you're going to get uh, uh, the majority of your enzymatic activity or one type of enzyme uh, at certain temperatures. And some of these enzymes will produce acids. Some of them will break down proteins. Some of them will. Uh, chop the starch molecules into little pieces some of them will chop the starch molecules into big pieces and um in the in the past that was fairly important it's not very important now i mean i've heard reports that you can do a 15 minute mash and get you know pretty close to full conversion in some cases if you're using just a basic two row or something like that so so I, I don't I don't think it's particularly important. There are exceptions to that. Certainly, when you get into specialty grains, um, wheat is a huge one. I, I did a grojiski. It's the only step mash I've ever personally done. I did a grojiski, uh, which is a Polish smoked wheat beer. It's a one hundred percent wheat um, and I didn't want to it's supposed to be a fairly clear beer I didn't want it to have a ton of protein in it so I did these step mashes to really break that down sometimes you really want a dextrinous wort like in a lager you want something that's nice and dry and crisp so you might do a, a more simple step mash where you're going to take it and Gary you got to you got to help me out with Celsius because my brain still thinks in uh, Fahrenheit when it comes to temperature uh, I think it's about it's 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 something like 140 to 149 which i think is like one i think it's six six is 60 to 65 does that sound right uh celsius is this the, 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 yeah the uh what is that the beta amylase um rest yeah i mean well it's between 60 and 64 okay. probably. and so so then then if you were making a lager and you really wanted it nice dry crisp pilsner or something like that you might um hold your mash temp between 60 and 64 and then bring it bring it on up to the uh the what is it alpha amylase rest which is and again and i don't know the whole range but something like i want to say 150 to 158 which is gonna be gary 
<laughs> some that uh you'd be uh you'd be looking at 67 to right, 72 okay. um and again there those enzymes are going to work on those starch molecules differently and they're going to really just chew it to hell giving your yeast a lot of accessible sugars and give you this nice dry wort so that's a more common one um these days um uh, but for the most part if you're at all like me um you're not going to mess with that because you just kind of want it to be pain-free and and (laughs) this kind of goes against all your whole philosophy of yeah if you can make a a a world-class beer without all that stuff then then just do it um so why craft work does it i don't know and and i should have asked that but my my take and i don't know i don't certainly don't want to put words in their mouth because they these weren't enormously wheat heavy beers and you know they're certainly not trying to break down the proteins um uh i wouldn't think that doesn't seem an objective for the beers that they're making in fact i think they want some proteins left in the beer um i would say it's more out of tradition than anything else but i don't know that that's my take Mm, yeah I um, if you are gonna yeah, like you say, there's no real need to do it these days. But if you're a super beer geek and you want to um try it and just to see what the difference is, because I'm kind of interested in doing it. I've never actually done a <coughs> step mash, even though I have the equipment to be able to do one. I've never gotten around to it, I guess. And like you say, the time is a thing, and it's just it's not necessary these days in, in most recipes. But um. Yeah, put some stuff, you know, use some under-modified malts. I know um, Gladfields have got a, a few under-modified, or at least one under-modified malt. And, but make sure, if you are going to do a protein reset, make sure that your some of your malts are under-modified because otherwise you'll end up chopping some of those proteins down um, further than you want and you'll end up with, you know, head retention issues mm, and stuff like that. Good point. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's um, not something I'm hugely familiar with, but... I would say if you if you really are interested about it, just give it a crack. See what you can come up with. I know, I'm pretty sure some German brewers still use some it. German brewers, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, no, it's German breweries like big uh, breweries. I'm sure some. I'm some sure still do. I'm it. sure. I'm sure quite a few do. Uh, sim- maybe tradition. Simpler maybe tradition. ones. The ones that I'm more the the the. Uh, step mashes I'm more familiar with modern breweries doing are more that again like really get yourself a dexterous wort for a lager where you're really trying yeah. to um, get yourself a nice yeah. dry crisp pilsner or lager but that's yeah, actually, or a wheat beer sorry so, yeah um, that is actually one thing if you want to get more efficiency then that will help you but it's a long it's a long time to spend getting that does that does and i feel Um, like i feel like uh this seems like this was some obvious setup but that does remind me of the grainfather which is one of our wonderful sponsors (laughs) because the grainfather allows you grainfather is kind of um, amazing you you literally download an app and you you can either create a recipe or you can uh, take recipes from the community and you can program things like these different mash steps or at least this is my understanding Mm. um and then you you've got your all-in-one brewing kettle and uh, obviously, you're you're brewing with Gladfield malt as you make this beer. I mean that that's that's a no-brainer. And uh, and then um, you program in your mash. So one uh, again, I, Gary, you gotta you gotta get better with 
correcting me on Fahrenheit because uh, I just don't know Celsius. What was it? The, what I was, was going to say year 120. So, and then you want to go up to like one, Ooh, you no want to go up to like <laughs> 147. A uh, hundred about 40 okay. degrees. Then you want to go up to like 158. Then you want to mash out at, you know, 168 or something like that. Oh yeah, I think sorry. I think that the the normal acid rest that they used to do back in the day. Yeah, super old school, but that's about 34, 35 to forty five. Protein rest is you know forty five. Yeah, I protein was around one twenty Fahrenheit, and then and then that. Yeah, it's about forty. But the acid rest is pretty old school. Um, Yeah, it's just. I mean, just add some lactic if you really want to get your oysters. You know, that was more else. of a pH thing as, yeah, you just touched them. But, um, but anyway, you can control those steps with something like, uh, the grandfather pretty easily. And that, and that's a great mm. way to go if you want to really program those steps in. So, uh, again, I said it in a previous show, but I was the guy that wanted to do it like the pros and got the three tier system and did all that. And I'm just short on time. And I, and I don't think you need all of that to make fantastic beer. So I've kind of gone backwards, whereas I started complex and now I'm doing brew in a bag and I still do, you know, again, I don't do it very often at all, but I did that Grojiski that I mentioned with the steps in a brew in a bag system where I'll just kind of heat up the water and then I'll lift my bag up so it's not going to get scorched or melt the the fabric or anything like that. And I'll, I'll goose the temperature and I've got my thermometer in there and I'm just watching it when I hit my temp. I lower my bag so it can touch the bottom, turn off the flame and, and I'm away and you can do it that way as well. But anything that's going to recirculate that, that, Mm. um, liquid, which, you know, there are not a ton of those systems here in New Zealand. They do exist and you can certainly piece one together. Um, but, uh, anything that controls the, you know, gives you the ability to pump and circulate where it will allow you to, um, create those steps. I, again, I think the grandfather's way to go, you just program it into your app, hit mm-hmm. a button and it's just gonna, it's just gonna walk your mash, uh, through each one of those steps. Anyway, um, what's sure. the next one, Gary? We got one, one more. So what, 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 we, what we needed to say is neither of us have any idea how to do. Well, we had a little bit. We had a little bit of an idea. <laughs> no, was a, no, no, that was good. I mean, we're just not super familiar yeah. with um, doing the process, and because of, I guess we both see that the no, no, no need for it. And, unless you're doing um, a big heavy wheat beer, I think there is a need for it there. Yeah, yeah. Or, or you want to clear? About, uh, wheat beer. I mean, there was they. They also did a um, what was the other one? They did a turbo they, mash. They do, uh, but that's a whole. That's a whole different and, and thing. Th- yeah, it's a whole. But if you're into sour beers, then you know that that gives more of your more things for your bread. Yeah, um, with a turbine mash, it's sort of the opposite objective, though. So that's why sure. I'm a little personally confused by the step mm-hmm. mash um, with their with the grain that they're actually mm-hmm. using because with the turbine mash, you want those starches in it and yeah, you want super yeah. dexterous. Yeah. So I, yeah. I don't know. We'd have to ask okay. them. Anyway, we'll move. We'll move on. Oh no, no. That, well, that's just so that you've got less for the sack to eat and more for yes. the bread and, and um, bacteria. Anyway, I've just gotten into this from Lazar, Larry. I've just gotten into kegging and have read about dry hopping in the keg. What are the advantages of this, and how do I avoid clogging the dip tube? Thanks in advance. I'm going to have to leave. Uh, that question to you, Gary, because you're the hop guy. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, 
What are the advantages of this? I would say I've never dry hopped in a keg for the record ever. Like I dry hop, but never yeah, in a neither keg. Have I. I, I haven't either. I, um, what are the advantages? I think you're gonna get a very similar result if you do it. If you do if you do dry hop your beer well and you keep it away from oxygen and all that sort of stuff, you're gonna get a similar result if you don't dry hop in the keg. But you, uh, well, I, I I have a I have a sense of why people do it. They're going for just the utmost and sort of intense hot, yeah, fresh, yeah, fresh hop, hop kind yeah, of yeah, taste. Yeah, but to me, you're just adding vegetables to your um to your beer. No, no. I mean, if you're keeping your kegs cold, you know, I don't. I think it's a, a it's an okay yeah. thing. Yeah, okay. Let's put it this way. You let's say you're a super hop head. You've hopped your beer and you want, want more hops. Okay, so. I think you can get an awesomely hoppy beer without just keep your beer away from diacetyl and keep your beer away from oxygen. Those are the first two things I do if I want more hops in my beer because those two things really do affect hop um, perception. Anyway, moving on from that, I want to I want to um, I want to keg hop my beer, and it's cold, man. Like I, I literally think you could your beer your keg's not going to last more than a month, is it? Uh, well, yeah, no, some of All my right. kegs are lasting more than a month. Okay. I don't have a lot of um, friends. It's, I, I don't think you're going to... We know, we know, John. Um, but uh, I think if you... Because it's cold temperature, I don't think you're going to get too much veggie. You might get a little bit of grass creeping in near the end of your Is keg. grass not a vegetable? Um, that's that, well, okay, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think you're going to get yeah, that fresh green yeah, yeah, grass, yeah. chlorophyll kind of thing, yeah, personally, yeah. but... Eventually, maybe to start with, it, I think you'll get, it'll be a slow extraction. Put it that way. Um, and I, I actually, the idea sounds kind of cool to me. It's it's just adding this fresh hop note. Um, you were what are the advantages? So we've kind of covered that. I guess there's no. I don't think there's a real advantage. You might get a bit more hop perception than you otherwise would. My my cynical uh, afford, my cynical avoid. feeling, and I'm sure somebody can tell me how wrong I am, but um, my cynical feeling is mm. that you know hop heads just want more hops, and the, and and it's really yeah, just yeah, about yeah. this the story of the beer. So they're mm. they're adding hops yeah. to the mash, and then they're first word hopping, and then they're dry yeah, hopping, yeah. and then they're adding hops to the keg. Mm. But I mean, you can make these wonderful, fantastically yeah. hoppy beers with. Without, without doing any of that, and and you and you're not going to yeah, get green I, I particles agree. floating around in your beer, or clog your dip tube. Um, well, you can get you can get little keg balls, like little. He says, and how do I avoid clogging the dip tube? So you can get these little keg balls. They're like five dollars from um, brew shop, and there's just a stainless steel little ball, and and they clip together. You just put some hops in there and clip together, and just chuck it in your keg, and you can get two or three or whatever, how many of you want. Um, that's probably the easiest way to avoid clogging your dip tube. Otherwise, maybe chop the dip tube a little bit shorter. Um, but I do think that you can get just uh, like ample hops by following best practice and just avoid that oxygen and mm. diacetyl. There was this invention floating around. Now I'm kind of steering us off off the question, but there was this invention oh, right, floating yeah. around, and I haven't heard much about it. I don't know what happened, but it was this this keg float and it basically you you how did it work you 
instead of the dip tube that went down to the bottom and and sucked your beer off the bottom of your keg, it was a float that sat at the a stainless steel float that sat at the top of your keg at the top of the beer and had a little dip tube that just kind of I think it had like a plastic tubing or something that, you know, kind of allowed it to move up and down. And it just went down a, an inch or two. And at, and so from your first pour, you were taking beer off the top of your keg. And as your beer went down, you know, you got closer to the bottom. But all that early sediment and all that gnarly stuff just sort of fell to the bottom. And until that very final pour, you never got any of it. And while that represented one more thing to clean, which is something that I'm not interested in, it oh, it seemed like a really good idea. Mm, it would be. I remember having just, you know, yeasty. Mm. <laughs> oh, I'm yep. not big on uh, letting my beer rest for too long. On the yeah. Meter, so uh, <laughs> it would have been good in that case. All right. Well, I, is that it for questions? Have you refreshed it? Because there might be another one. Is there nobody? Is, Please ooh. talk Let to us. We, we're lonely. It's, it's 12 o'clock. Damn. <laughs> It is. It is almost midnight. All right. Well, uh, then that is. I think that's us. So, if you enjoyed this uh, episode, if you enjoyed this podcast, if you enjoy what we're trying to do here uh, with the New Zealand Brewer Podcast, bring uh, bringing you, you guys, New Zealanders, perhaps uh, listeners around the world, uh, insight into New Zealand's. Uh, brewing scene then do us a solid head on over to itunes or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and please leave us a review those reviews really matter they attract new listeners we're trying to make the show more popular uh and uh and it'll it'll help ensure that we get to keep making these episodes for you guys and while you're at it, check out our sponsors. Uh, there's, of course, Gladfield Malt, uh, New Zealand's own craft maltster. I'm a big fan of their stuff. I know Gary uses them in his beer, as do or as have many of the guests that we've had on the show. They're doing really cool things, really unique things. Um, and uh, there's the Grainfather that, as we just talked about, uh, can, with a very small footprint, just help you make fantastic wort. It's up to you to ferment it. Well, actually, it's not entirely up to you because now they have a new conical fermenter. I don't, I don't know if you knew about that, Gary, but they've got a conical fermenter now, which is kind of cool. All right. And uh, and of cool. course, uh, you can buy the Grainfather and and Gladfield Malt at Brewshop.co.nz. Um, best, uh, no, no hype, forget the sponsorship, like just hands down the place you want to go and buy your ingredients and equipment. Uh, mm. if you are an online shopper in New Zealand, um, so, so uh, yeah. Can I just, yeah, can I just quickly say on that note, um, yeah, I still buy, um, one major thing that I buy from them is liquid yeast and it, it turns up the next day. Like I order it at 12 o'clock one day and it'll turn up. At you know nine o'clock the next day, and it's sometimes it's still yeah. cold, like it's you know. It's, it's, and they give you they give you a free yeast, uh, yeast. They give you a free uh, ice pack in every shipment, which not everybody yeah, totally. does. And yeah. they don't yeah. go and sell it to you like five days before it's going to expire, which some people do. Not naming yeah, yeah, names. Yeah, yeah. They're really, really good, and they won't even set it on the weekend. Like if I order on a Friday, they'll like send me a little message saying, "Sorry, it's not turning up because we don't yeah, want to, you yeah. know, <laughs> stress it out over the weekend." But yeah, they, they are, they are excellent. Their their shipping is just on on what I, I say. I don't want to say on point, but I was, I did say it. Um, 
it's they send it out the same day you order it, which is excellent if you order it before you know a reasonable yeah. time. So it's good yeah, stuff. they're good. All right, anything else to talk about before we go? Um, I feel like we should go and record the uh, first segment because we were kind of boring in the first segment. Now we're lick, we're what are we? beard up and having having a good time. That's <laughs> to you, bro. That's <laughs> to you, man. Oh, I'm not Either way. All right. Well, if we sound really drunk in the first uh, segment of the show, then oh, was oh, was that you on? Oh, no, I, you I on was. Maybe? Yeah. No, that was that was for everybody else. All <laughs> oh, right. I thought no, you were like. I, yeah. I, I, I have no finished. intention of re-recording the first segment. No, it's just being, me being funny. <laughs> good, good. Clearly, oh, clearly, funny? I was I being funny. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oops. Well, I don't know. Anything to say before we go? Um. Oh, you know. Not really. Not All right. Really. Well, thanks guys for listening. Really appreciate it. It's a new show. We're get we're really just kind of getting traction. We're well over two thousand listeners per episode now, um, and it means a lot. We appreciate your support. Tell your mm-hmm. friends. Make this happen. Spread the word. Um, we want we want to be we want to be your uh, looking glass uh, or your portal into New Zealand's brewing yeah. scene. So tell us what you need. Send us an email. Hit us up on Facebook. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll go, we'll go dig in and find that brewery, find that recipe, um, and, and share it with you guys here on the podcast. But, uh, we do appreciate the support. Um, all right. Thanks guys for listening. Thanks Gary for being on the call. Thank you, Matt, uh, from Boneface Brewing. And again, thank you to our sponsors for making this all possible. Really appreciate it. And we'll be back with you in two weeks with another episode. Have a good night, Gary. Cheers. That was a weak cheers. Just cheer, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. 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 cheers.